Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now with today's message, the founder and president of NETS, Wes Pastor. Well, good morning and greetings from the People's Republic of Vermont. Yes, we're a little to the left of Texas politically, but we do have something in common. You may not know this. There are only two states in the United States that were republics, sovereign nations, before they came into statehood in the United States. Of course, Texas is one of them, the Republic of Texas. The other one is Vermont. So uh, despite our political differences, there's a real state pride that Vermont has, and they're very independently minded. And, uh, and so we share that in common. We also share in common, I lived here with my family for four years in the Dallas area when I was attending Dallas Seminary. So this is familiar ground, the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. I'm also delighted to see that you have New American Standard Bibles in the pews. Uh, our church recently uh, went to ESV, my successor, is on staff, and uh, we'll go through a two or three year transition, and he's an ESV guy. All the young guys are ESV guys, and, uh, but I've been teaching and preaching from the NASB for over 40 years, and so I'm thrilled to see that you have that, and if you use a different Bible, that's fine. Uh, this is the best, but if you use a different one, that's, that's no problem at all. All right, well, let me open up in a word of prayer. Let's commit our time to the Lord. Father, we thank you. For your grace, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work he's given us to do. It's a glorious work. And we ask, Father, that you would encourage our hearts in that work. Strengthen us. Help us, Lord, to to be not only enthusiastic, but resolved to keep at the work until the, the work is done. We thank you for this time. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you and I have a job to do. God has asked us, indeed commanded us, to do one thing. And it's no secret. There's no subtlety. Jesus was explicit. He's asked us to make disciples of all the nations, Matthew 28. To proclaim repentance for forgiveness of sins to all the nations, Luke 24. He said in John 20, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Of course, in Acts chapter 1, you shall be my witnesses, ultimately to the uttermost part of the world. Jesus was explicit, and the apostles were obedient. They got after it, didn't they? You have the book of Acts to show us just how they got after it. My question this morning is this. What about you? And what about me? some 2,000 years later. Oh, I know that this is a gospel-preaching church. My church up in Vermont, Christ Memorial, it's a gospel-preaching church. And if you asked any of the people, are you after it for the gospel, they'd just say yes, because that's what you're supposed to say. That's what we're committed to doing. But I'm asking a different question. I'm asking, how excited are you internally about the job 
that our Savior's given us to do? How stoked, to use the vernacular, are you about the Great Commission this morning? Are you older saints? You've been at it for a while. And perhaps the luster of gospel work is just dulled a bit. The excitement maybe has just waned just a little bit. And you younger saints, maybe church is more of a service provider for you and for your young family or for your needs as a single person instead of your mission and your passion. My goal this morning is not to scold. It's not to guilt trip you into some sort of great commission frenzy. That never works anyways, does it? But to encourage you, to help you perhaps to reset your heart and your priorities here at First Baptist Keller as they start a new ministry year. I want to perhaps show you a different angle on our Savior's mandate that is I think so glorious and so beautiful as to help us, even compel us to joyfully engage and joyfully even suffer all things for his sake and for the sake of the gospel. Living out Paul's simple motto that to live is Christ and to die really is gain. So let's ground this angle in the first chapter of the book of Genesis, see what God has asked of our original parents. So turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1, familiar passage, in verse 28. Genesis 1 and verse 28. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish and the sea and over the birds, fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Familiar passage. It obviously introduces some kind of a mandate, but a mandate to do what? There's some debate on that question. Some think that it's sort of a reproduction mandate. You know, have as many children as you can. Fill the earth in that literal sense. Others see it, in conjunction with Genesis 2, as some sort of a, a cultural mandate. The idea of filling the earth, or to use Genesis 2 language, of cultivating the garden has to do with caring for the city, or looking out, more modern, looking out for the environment. Now, just to be clear, I'm not against reproduction. Five kids, ten grandchildren and counting. I'm not against societal or environmental care. I live in Vermont. In fact, next summer, composting will become Vermont law. And I'll obey it. Okay, I'm not excited about the composting law. I'll admit that. Still, not against these things. But they're not the point of the Genesis mandate. So what was God asking our first parents to do when he mandated them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it? He was asking them to construct a global 
mirror so that when he looked down on earth, he'd see himself. He was asking them to cover the earth with his glorious image, the exact representation of his nature. We were uniquely created as divine image bearers so that we might fill the earth with his glory. That's what he was asking them. Of course, you know, something happened. The image was ruined, marred by the fall, almost beyond recognition. In Adam, all humanity became Ichabod. No glory. No glory. But God was already, way back in Genesis, already planning to restore that image, preparing even in Genesis 1, before the fall, to send the one who is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. But you know in Genesis 1, that divine word through whom all things came into being that have come into being is revealed to be Jesus Christ in John chapter 1. And the Old Testament prophets beheld something of the Son's glory. Moses in Exodus 33 in the cleft of the rock. And Isaiah in Isaiah 6, so says John in John chapter 12. And of course, the apostles saw it. They saw it up close and personal for three and a half years. How did John put it in his gospel? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the one who came and died for our sins, paying the death penalty for our sins and for what our sins deserved and rising from the dead on the third day in glorious victory and thereby offering life eternal to any who believe. And what is that life? But the restoration, ultimately, of the divine image in God's image bearers. And what is the Great Commission? But the New Testament fulfillment of that Old Testament Genesis mandate to fill and subdue the earth with God's glorious image. That's what we're doing when we preach the gospel. We're beckoning men and women we're beckoning boys and girls from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation to experience life, a new identity, a new image, a new self, as Colossians 3 puts it, which is being recreated to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. I mean, aren't believers... New creations, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's building blocks of the new heavens and the new earth. And God is still asking us to fill the earth, to cover the earth with his glory like the waters cover the sea. And we do that by preaching the gospel to all the nations, 
For only the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Only the gospel is the power of God for renewal according to the image of God. And may I suggest that there's there's no more exciting job, there's no more fulfilling work, certainly no more significant work than remaking the cosmos after God's glorious image by preaching the gospel reminds me of the career questions. When I was in elementary school and secondary school, they were always peppering you. Everybody was very career-minded, and you had to know what you were going to be when you grew up. You know what I used to say on all the forms I had to fill? I said I wanted to be a bullfighter. Uh, It got me right into the counselor's office. You can imagine (laughs) this boy's got problems. But I don't know. That just seemed like a really cool vocation, to be a bullfighter. Well, now in Christ, I want to be a world changer. That's what I want to do. That's God's plan. That's been his plan from the beginning, to cover the earth with his glory. He's still at it. Nothing's changed. That's the mandate. So let's get practical. How do we carry this out? What's the scriptural playbook? Turn with me to John's Gospel in the New Testament, John chapter 13. Again, a familiar passage. I'm not sharing anything new with you. Maybe just looking at it from a slightly different angle. John 13. Let's look at verses 34 and 35. Keith told me this morning that I had 35 minutes to preach. I thought he had said an hour and 35 minutes. So I made a few edits back in the room when we were praying. I, I think I've got it close to an hour now. Uh, so hang on, hang on. No, we're, we're good. Verse 34, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment, Jesus said, I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. A new image must be supported by obedience to a new commandment. It's really not a new commandment, it's an old commandment, but there's a new power, a new covenant power to fulfill the old commandment. Now, why is that? Why must a new image be supported by obedience to a new commandment? Why is love so key? Here's the reason, because it validates the gospel to the world. It validates that it is the power of God, not just to guarantee saints heaven, but to transform saints on earth into a community of love. That's what causes people to notice when people who don't know each other and may not otherwise like each other begin to love one another and work together for a common goal. You see, without brotherly love, our preaching is just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. That's all it is. The world is looking for something real, something authentic, And hell insurance might have value at death, but if we're going to get the world to sit up and take notice, we've got to present the power of a new community that looks something like Jesus Christ, a culture of sacrificial love. When they walk into this place, they say, surely God is here. Surely God is in this place because these people are acting weird. They seem to actually like each other. 
Now, with that foundation of love in place, we're ready with credibility to tell others why we're different, why we love those who are not a part of our blood family. And how do we do that? What's the tactical plan to do this? Well, obviously, by preaching the gospel, that's how we do it. We preach the gospel. But let me hone that to a sharper edge. Let me suggest that we preach the gospel with the goal of planting a new church and new churches. In other words, our chief tactic for covering the earth with God's glorious image is covering the earth with new communities of love. And that for several reasons. First, I believe it was a strategy of the early church. If you work through the book of Acts, you know Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit's come upon you, you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even the most part of the earth. Now, how did they carry that out? If you, if you outline the book of Acts, they did that by planting churches in all those areas. That's what they did. They planted churches. And those churches planted churches. Second, it's actually the best presentation of Christ. You see, we're Christ's body. As individual members, we're just one small piece of that body. So we don't give the world a very accurate portrayal of Christ with just us. You know, I mean, I don't know what part of the, the body I am. Maybe I'm the nose. I don't know. So I go up and I share Christ with somebody and I'm just a big nose. They're like, I'm having trouble seeing Christ. I see a big nose, but I'm not seeing Christ very clearly. It's the best presentation of Christ, the body. Third, and as we've seen, it showcases the gospel power through the, op the apologetic of love. Fourth, it emphasizes the preached word. Now, I'm going to say something in a minute about sharing individually, but there's something special about the preached word. There's something special and there's something powerful about being able to get up here and declare to you the oracles of God. You don't do that in a personal conversation. You don't say, hey, let's go out for coffee. I'm going to declare to you the oracles of God. That would be a, a, a personal foul, wouldn't it? But we can do that here. And then finally, it's a permanent witness. We want to build lighthouses in areas of darkness that are going to preach the gospel for decades, even generations. As I said, don't get me wrong. We must be individual witnesses. You, we should be sharing the gospel on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. should be sharing the gospel in Starbucks, on the plane. I mean, what's more glorious to talk about? Uh, the Dallas Cowboys? Well, okay, let's forget that for a moment. The New England Patriots? Oh, of course not. Oh, my goodness. Who cares about those things? I'm talking about glorious. Glorious. We should be gossiping the gospel individually, but we should do it as a part of an overall church planting strategy and movement. That's why I'm down here in Texas this morning. You see, First Baptist Keller, like my church in Vermont, Christ Memorial, is excited about planting churches. 
One of the things we're jointly excited about is Utah, the darkest state in the United States, even darker than New England. Now imagine that. Imagine the apologetic of love, a Cowboys fan and a Patriots fan. Now that's trivial. How about this? Somebody from the north and somebody from the south. Churches joining together, moving the gospel forward, planting churches in our country and beyond. That's what God's asking us to do. And I'm not sure there's anything not only more meaningful but more fun than to do that. I mean, I, I came to Christ a little later in life. I used to think I had fun. This is fun! Being a world changer, seeing people's lives change, seeing families transformed, seeing the gospel go forward, people raised from the dead, that's fun. That's fun. It's what God's asked us to do. It's what he's commanded us to do. And he wants us to set our faces as Jesus did like Flint. He wants us to, to imitate the Apostle Paul's resolve to finish the course. In fact, look at Paul's words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 with me, if you would. 2 Timothy. I have trouble finding 2 Timothy. It's right after 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Our folk up in Vermont, our congregation is a lot of first-generation Christians. We have a very heavy percentage of people that came to Christ at our church and they know they don't know any other church they've never experienced any other church and they don't know where anything is in the Bible so I'm always directing them as to where to go and I give helpful hints like that second Timothy is after first Timothy they don't get it at first but after a while they're like he's not helpful at all yeah that's right it it's it's meant to be a joke Second Timothy chapter 4, listen to what Paul says, verse 6. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all, who have loved his appearing. The work itself, I believe, is wonderfully motivational. Can't think of anything more meaningful, more significant in all the world. It's a glorious work. But I think here in these passages there's something even better, something even more powerful, something even more motivational that's worth leaving it all out on the court. It's life. It's life. It's the crown of righteousness. I take that to be the reward for true faith, the reward for persevering faith. Remember what Jesus said in Sermon on, uh, Sermon on the Mount? It's only those who endure to the end who will be saved. See, that's perseverance. That's our doctrine of the perseverance of faith. It's only those who endure to the end. Endure what? You know, endure all kinds of setbacks. 
disappointments and discouragements and fruitlessness. You know, you're working in a field and you're not seeing, you read about missionaries who are preaching the gospel, preaching the, and no fruit. Who endure all the worldly temptations to disengage. The worries of the world. The deceitfulness of riches. The desire for other things. If I might get personal for a moment, as a pastor, next week will be 27th anniversary of Christ Memorial Church's existence. I've been the pastor the entire time. You know what makes me want to quit? It just, it just, it's an emotional sucker punch for me. It's when fellow believers, people that you have loved and maybe ministered to for decades, walk away from Christ caring about the things of the world more than caring for Christ and his church. Boy, does that discourage me. I just want to hang it up. But this reward of life, of enduring to the end, makes me want to finish my course, makes me want to stay in the game, makes me want to fight to plant churches among all the nations because the promise of true faith is life. It's the crown of righteousness. It's promised to all who believe, and true belief perseveres until the end. So brothers and sisters, we have a job to do. We're, we're reclaiming the cosmos. We're the ones that are actually saving the earth. We're refitting the earth with the image of God. That's our commission. And we do it by preaching the gospel of Christ in the context of a transformed community through the planting of new churches undergirded by an unflappable resolve to finish the work. And it's a glorious work. It's a beautiful work. It's a deeply satisfying work. It's the only work that actually pays forward. It's the only work that has eternal dividends. So again, I'm asking this morning, and I'm asking myself as well, how are you doing in regard to your enthusiasm for this work? Has it waned a bit? Are you feeling somewhat overwhelmed here at First Baptist Keller as you approach a new ministry year? Does it feel like you've got other things that are more important on your plate? Maybe even more exciting. Maybe you're not excited this morning because you've never truly believed. That'd be a reason not to be excited. Oh, you might have had some sort of an emotional experience with the gospel at some point in your past, but it really hasn't stuck, has it? You're not really juiced about the work. You're not really turned on by Jesus right now. 
Your faith is questionable. Well, this would be a great time to reset, wouldn't it? That is, to believe, perhaps for the first time, to truly believe the gospel, to truly embrace Christ by faith alone, who died on the cross for a sinner like you, and to willingly become his love slave. And do his great work of remaking the planet. Are you here today and those words resonate with you? I would say to you, come to Christ. Embrace Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And my dear fellow believers, maybe your lack of enthusiasm suggests that it's time for you to reset as well. To refocus. We all need that, don't we? To refocus on the marvelous assignment that our Savior has given us, has given you. Brothers and sisters, let's change the world for Christ's sake. Let's plant churches that will showcase the gospel's power. And let's die with our boots on. Let's keep on pushing until the work is done. For to us, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you. We thank you for giving us such significance that you would deposit this treasure in earthenware vessels is remarkable. And it demonstrates that the adequacy, the sufficiency is truly of God, not of us. We thank you that you did not give up on us when we so marred your image in Adam. You're patiently reconstituting that image through the preaching of the gospel, which is embraced by faith alone. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us not to be distracted, not to be derailed, instead to stay on task until the work is done. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.